Okay, good morning. I thought we would start um, getting our, our minds focused on this heavy topic um, with an with, uh, opening prayer. So, Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you with grateful hearts, grateful for the time, talents, and treasures that you have blessed us with. And we ask you to um, make us vulnerable, help us to um, take in your word through our eyes, our soul, through our hearts, our ears and every part of us, Lord, help us to understand what you're teaching, and may only your words and your truth be spoken here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <coughs> so I don't know about you guys, but uh, wouldn't it have been amazing to hear Jesus' voice telling us mm-hmm. this sermon? But I thought, I was thinking about that while I was preparing, and then I thought, yee, but then it would have just like waved over you, right? Like, all of what he's saying, it just would have waved, and you would have wanted to push the pause, and you couldn't. But we can do that. We can, we can dissect it. We can spend time on different parts of it that are speaking to us, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, I'm going to start with a quote you guys might have heard. This whole lecture is full of quotes. I'm sorry. It's just how it spoke to me. But if you ever heard Yogi Berra, do you know who Yogi Berra is? He's a football, uh, baseball player, mm-hmm. uh, and he was known for his quips. And he said, when you get to a fork, take it. When you get to a fork in the road, take it. I always thought he was just being funny, and he meant a literal fork. But no, he was saying, to get to his house, when you get to the fork, take it. Because either way was going to get you to his house. But so it made me think about the, the, I asked my daughter for my birthday what I want her to give me is, she's a photographer, and so to take a picture of a beautiful fork in the road, because I feel like that I'm every day, every minute, I'm always at that fork. Am I obedient to God, or am I thinking of what I want? And so that made me think of this illustration, because our overall theme is, our outlook determines our outcome. So when we get to this fork and we think of our outcome, then we could either take this way, which is towards God and um, treasures in heaven and God and trust that we'll talk about, or I could go this way, which is the earthly and worldly things. So we're going to keep this fork in, the, in, in mind as we uh, go through this, and we're going to start with uh, treasures, uh, treasures in heaven versus the earthly things. So um, on your passage there, um, I'm not going to read this because you've got it in front of you and, and we've studied it, but uh, 19 through 21 talks about storing up, don't store up treasures on earth, st- store up treasures in heaven. And um, we think about, you know, what's he mean by treasures in heaven? Because he didn't define it. There's no definition here. So what could that mean? And I thought it was interesting that in the song we just sang, she said, um, may the treasures of the trial, because the song is about trials. And so even even a trial could be a treasure um, because it's what we how we react to it, how we show God and give him glory is could be a trial. On your handout, I gave you a definition I found. It said that uh, it's using all that we have for the glory of God. So I think it's good that it's vague because um, it, it, you know, you, you don't have to say, oh, well, that's not a treasure of heaven, so I don't have to worry about that one because it, it, it's everything that could bring glory to him. 
So um, also I think it's interesting that do not is a command. It's, uh, it's an imperative verb. And it come, if you think about it, he's saying do not store up treasures on earth. What he's talking about here is covet, covetousness. And that's from Exodus twenty seventeen. Do not covet. It's a command. Don't do it. And if you, if it sounds like you know he's saying, I don't want you to do these things. But if you look at the overall picture of what he's saying, he's God cares for us, and he knows if we put too much value on things, our hearts will be broken and hurt. He gives us an alternative. He gives us the but in verse twenty. That brings him glory, shows Jesus to others, and saves our hearts from despair. Because when we lose things, we often lose our hearts with it when they're connected to that. So how do we understand this idea of wealth and treasure? Uh, Would someone like to read the 1 Timothy 6 through 17 there on your handout? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life. That is truly life. Thank you, Marlene. So we can see here that first off, it's okay to have wealth. That, that's a blessing God gives us. But it also gives us some ideas of what treasures in heaven might look like. And then um, we, we want to have that proper perspective of wealth, which this passage is showing us. But we've also been studying Things that would give us perspective. In verses um, 1 through 18 in chapter 6, in our last two previous studies, we find that storing treasures in heaven may be fostered by the spiritual disciplines of giving, praying, and fasting with right attitudes. So that helps give us the right perspective when we go into, okay, now what do we do with our treasure? So what is your aim in life? Material gain or to serve and glorify God? So the next fork in the road we look at is God versus money. Now, in verses 22 to 24, where it talks about the eye of the body is the lamp of the body and two masters, he's giving us contrast and consequences. Often the eye in the Bible will represent the attitudes of the mind because it's through our eye that we take in things and and so it impacts our, our attitude. And um, and so, <clears throat> if we want to have a healthy eye or a good eye versus an unhealthy one, and we want to bring light into our body, then we can look at verses such as Philippians four eight. Um, would anyone like to read that? It's on our handout there. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So if you think about your eye being your attitude, then you think about these positive things. This is going to bring light into your body, and and it's going to uh, 
crowd out that darkness. And I, there's this verse or this quote from John Ortberg. He's a, a pastor. He said, "Never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light." So you might find yourself, you might get off on this wrong path and find yourself in darkness. But what you need to do when you're there is to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know the truths God's shown me when I was with him and walking with him. And I can, I can find that strength to then turn away from that darkness. Because, um, okay, so then, uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so then in verse 24, um, it, he also talks about... Um, you can hate one or love the other, but then he flips it and says devoted to one or despise the other. I thought that was interesting how he flips it like that. I'm not quite sure what that means. But he also says that you can't serve two masters. And this would have been really um, meaningful back in Jesus' time because when you were a slave, you were owned 100% by that master. He owned you lock, stock, and barrel. It was, it, there was no partial, like you only, re, it wasn't like a job where you would you know, report to him and work in his household and then go home to your own house. He owned everything about you. So, so to, to have that idea of serving a master, they would have understood what that meant. And, um, and then money, it, it, he uses money here, but if you think about it, especially if you look at other verses uh, later in the New Testament, money could be anything. It, it's, it's, money is, a, is a, the biggest of our issues, but money, it could be television, it could be whatever becomes an idol to you that takes your eyes off of God. That, that's, that's what we're really looking. You can't have your eye off of God onto something else, whatever that something else would be, uh, and serve him. So if we look at the verses so far where we've, we've looked at the condition of our heart, you know, where are we putting our treasure, and we look at we've got healthy eye or an unhealthy eye, and then um, where our will is with who we serve, we find that a misplaced heart and a clouded or unhealthy eye lead to a misaligned will that tries to serve two irreconcilably different masters. So a misplaced heart and a clouded eye leads to a misaligned will. And then, then we're on the wrong path. We're just going the wrong way. Um, uh, Peggy's mentioned Pastor Roger. Uh, he was a pastor here for many years. And he's passed away now. A couple, it's been well, at least a year, maybe two. Uh, but in a sermon I heard him say once, um, he said, Whatever I value demands sacrifice from me. If I can't give it away, then it owns me. I don't own it. And then, um, I, th this is another way of saying this, a real, the real measure of a man's wealth is what he has invested in eternity. So then, um, that we ask, how are we wrongly perceiving the value of things or choices and trading that of high value for that of low value? Who is Lord over my life? Is it Jesus Christ or is it money or is it something else? Um, 
when you get to question six on on page 39 of your study guide, that's a really key question because what he's doing is he's tying the verses 19 through 24 that we've just discussed with the following verses. He ties it all together to help you see that it is all connected. So then we go come to our next fork in the road, and that's trust versus worry. Now, I looked up... Um, Okay, so we're, first we're going to look at verses 25 through 27. And um, I bolded the word therefore. And you've probably heard this before. You know, always need to see what is the therefore, therefore. <laughs> it's connecting you to something. What is it connecting? Well, it's connecting what he's just said. He's talking about getting your will in the right place where you've aligned your heart with God. It's talking about how you're getting your attitude healthy and you're filling it with light and you're choosing to serve God and not any, any earthly thing. So if you do those things, then he says, do not worry because I got you. And he would know that if you're not doing those things, then you're going to be in a state of worry because everything you're holding is perishable and it's going to go away. If you, you know, you could drop it, you could break it, it's going to go away from you. So you tend to worry and you hold on to it. So he says, um, so, so he's saying, you know, don't worry about what you're eating or drinking or your clothes. You know, why are you worrying about these things? So I thought, well, let's look up the word worry. Uh, I, I looked at many different translations. Your, yours might say anxiety. One used the word anxiety, not worry. Um, and, um, but the Greek for worry means to be drawn in different directions. It's an, actual, it's an imperative, which means it, it's a command. That means to have anxiety based upon perceived or real impending misfortune. So, but then I thought, well, what's the, you know, what's Webster say this is? And it's actually a word, it's an English word. It comes from, um, from uh, with British background, and it means to harass by tearing, biting, or snapping, especially at the throat, to change the position of or adjust by repeatedly pushing or hauling. So they would use it like um, the, the rat worried the, the snake, you know, worried it, he chewed it, or the dog might worry his toy or whatever. It's, it's that idea. And so it's just that, that fighting, that going back and forth. And so I thought that um, the Greek being uh, drawn in different directions, I thought that that kind of fits with that pushing and hauling. It's just not good. I also thought, I, I was mentioning to Libby last week, I thought, well, you know, we, we, we're, we get concerned, right? We have concern for people, and so that's a good thing to be concerned, right? Well, if you look at all the definitions, and the, you look at a thesaurus to see what are the synonyms, worry, concern, same word. It doesn't, there's no difference. It's just a spin we like to put on it that makes it sound a little bit better, but there's really no difference. Um, so in verse 25, when Jesus is saying, is not, the, the, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And, and what he's saying here is that our temporal life is not true eternal life. And we're cheap, cheapening his gift of eternity when we're focused on the here and now uh, uh, temporal life. And then he says that, can, can you add a single hour to your life by worrying? 
And that he's talking about the futility and wastefulness of worry. It gains us nothing. It doesn't do any good. So then we go on to verses 29 to 30, or 28 to 30, I'm sorry. And he's, now he's talking about clothes and how the fields, the flowers of the field are clothed by him. And, and look how beautiful they are. Even Solomon in his splendor could never dress as beautiful as one of these. Well, Solomon, as you recall from the Old Testament, he was King David's son, the son of Bathsheba and David, and he was the heir after David to the throne. And he and God was so pleased with him, he said, I'll bless you with whatever you want. And Solomon said, I only want your wisdom. But God also blessed him with material things. And for a time, he was the wealthiest king in the known world. And he had everything. And that eventually did trip him up. <laughs> because uh, it does but um, but he so he could have had and purchased the finest of anything but dyes were very hard to come by and they weren't always very good outcome from dyes so they would never be able to have clothing in Solomon's day that were as beautiful as the flowers in the field so that's that contrast that he's giving so no matter no amount of wealth could have allowed him to, to dress as beautiful um, and then when he says in verse 30, this one that just like gets us to the core, you of little faith. And he says this, he says this, we know from studying Mark in the fall. He says this to his disciples and to others when he, he's, and you could just hear the sadness in his voice, you know, why, why don't you trust me? That's what this is saying. You don't trust me. You don't have faith in me. So, we, so this is, this is us not trusting him. So that's why I contrasted worry with trust. Um, and then um, when, um, when Brian and... Uh, okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay, so then that makes us think, how much of our devotion, time, and treasure is focused on our physical well-being, just like they were worrying about what they were going to eat and wear? You know, how much of our time do we spend on that? I can tell you just in this move how many hours we've spent on what kind of furniture will we need and where will it go and all the I mean it's just silly silly stuff. So I could tell you right now a lot of my time is focused on that. Um, but when Brian retired um, at the end of 2013, um, God gave us this verse, and this is our verse for the rest of our life. As there was no more income coming in, that was it. We're done. What we've got is all there is. Uh, it's Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So even in times when it just seems hopeless, the stock market goes down, whatever. You just think, what's going to happen if we have dug those roots deep into God's word and in our trust and faith in him, we will be just fine. Um, and then it's interesting that now he's saying again in um, verse 31, a second time, do not worry. He's being very emphatic here. And he's bringing it up again. And he says in verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things 
And in your uh, question 10, you'll talk about this and what you think he was meaning by that verse. So we won't talk about it here. But then in um, um, verses 33 through 34, in 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So we've talked about the kingdom of God and what that means in our uh, Christianity Explored study. And it really means it's God's reign. It's God in his power, God in his glory here on earth, in heaven. That's what that means. And so um, in Romans 14, um, which I think uh, we'll find Romans 14 to be helpful next week as well, uh, in another place in that uh, chapter, uh, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So the kingdom of God is not a matter of these things. It's of righteousness, peace, and joy in God. So that's, that's how we can understand when Jesus says, seek me first, seek my kingdom first. And then, I don't know if you've listened to Moody Radio, but there's a, a local pastor, uh, Ford, that's on. I think he comes on at 6.30, maybe, on Moody. But one time I heard him say, he's got just a way with words. And he says, everything is out of place when Jesus isn't first place. Um, so then, uh, in verse 34, uh, it, there he says again, therefore... Why is, what's the therefore, therefore? We have to look at that because he's saying, do not worry. He's telling you why you shouldn't worry. And he's telling you the but. He's giving you the alternative. So you see the but. There's my alternative. So I've given you an alternative to seek me. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, so because you have... Therefore, because you've sought God for the third time, he's saying, don't worry. Um, there's, uh, we've talked about Corey Ten Boom uh, before. We've talked about her quotes before. Um, she survived a Nazi concentration camp. And she said about worry, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And I also thought on page 74 of our study guide, I liked what he said, too. He said, God's children are promised freedom neither from work, nor from responsibility, nor from trouble, but only from worry. Worry is incompatible with Christian faith. So, there is hope, though. And the hope is um, in a path to path and victory over, over worry. If you look back on your uh, handout, the first thing we want to see is faith. In verse 30, he says that we have little faith, so we need to make sure that we have faith and we trust God to meet our needs. Then we need to focus on the Father. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. In verse 32. Then we put him first. In verse 33, we put him and his kingdom first so that he will... Uh, so he will be glorified. If we have faith in our Father and put him first, he will meet our needs. 
And then I, another quote here, God's will is what you would desire if you knew all the facts. And I think oftentimes the worry comes from that big unknown. And so that's where we just have to trust in God. Um, so then we ask ourselves, will we hand our priorities over to God? Will you ask him to strengthen your commitment to his commands? God is in the details and the dilemmas. Look for his presence and watch the wonder that unfolds in the most unlikely places. So as closing, I'd like to use Philippians 4, 7, 4, 4 through 7. We just read verse 8 at the beginning, but I'd like to close with that as a prayer and, and also show how you can use scripture to pray. So... Dear Heavenly Father, we rejoice in you. We thank you for your many blessings. And we ask that your gentleness will be in us and that all may see it. We ask you, Lord, we know you are near. We ask that we will see you and we will uh, feel you and, be, and see your evidence everywhere we look. Dear Lord, help us to not be anxious about anything. And we pray that you will put on our hearts, dear Holy Spirit, to lift you up in prayer and to bring all of our needs and petitions to you, Lord, and to not worry of those. And we ask that you fill us with thanksgiving as we present all of these requests to you. And we ask, Lord, that instead of worry, you fill us with your peace, a peace that transcends all understanding. And we ask that you will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And then thinking of peace and joy. Peace is joy at rest, and joy is peace on its feet. I love that. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I have a quote too.